Well, the motherfucker is dead. <laughs> He's dead? I mean, who's going to run the Fang Island tournament <laughs> next year? <laughs> I mean, who who are they going to find to, you know, run, you know, anonymous war criminal stuff? I mean, I'm sure they can just drag a clone out of the Ivy League somewhere. That's true. That's true. They still have Kissinger, somehow. Mm-hmm. Are we sure Kissinger is just not like uh, a robot at this point? My, my we... working theory is that Henry Kissinger is like unquestionably damned to the deepest pits of hell. Except Satan doesn't want that motherfucker setting foot in his domain. Like that that's my theory at this point. So he's just he's just been like shopping him around to the various, you know, negative afterlives. Just not finding any takers, and that's the only reason he hasn't been picked up. Probably. <laughs> We are, of course, talking about Donald Rumsfeld, who (laughs) finally fucking croaked at the tender old age of 88. Yeah, the chief architect of the Iraq War is finally dead. If he was an Iraqi official, he would have been hanged for war crimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Instead, he got to die mostly peacefully in his bed. Surrounded by his family of loving monsters. But, you know, I will say this. Fuck the kind of respectability bullshit around having to respect these ghouls when they kick the bucket just because he was a secretary of defense it's like yeah he was horrible and a monster and like committed numerous heinous war crimes and while destabilizing the middle east for fucking ever but he was our heinous war crime committing monster Mm-hmm. and he meant well allegedly Maybe, according to, you know, the fawning profile that will inevitably come at the New York Times op-ed page. And the Washington Post. Yeah, in fact, a lot of them had, like, these really glowing, well, he was, you know, he had a spot of controversy in the oddies, but... He had six decades of service to the U.S. government, and that should be respected. And I'm just... (sighs) Disgusting. So yeah, fuck him. Fuck Donald Rumsfeld. At least he's providing a new public toilet for use. That's Mm -hmm. something. The world can use more gender-neutral bathrooms. (laughs) Uh, 
Welcome to Chop Shop. Sorry, go ahead. Welcome to Chop Shop Economics. We speak at the same time, so you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) We're an engineering podcast with slides. (laughs) Totally. (sighs) I'm Miss Silver. Um, With me is our co-hosts. Dr. Spider. Mm-hmm. It's Harls. Yeah. My laptop is no longer shrieking at me. So I am back on the podcast. Nice. Nice. <sighs> and, you know, we've it's... been out for a bit. Mm-hmm. For technical as well as, you know house melting and brains getting scooped out by thesis committee reasons um yeah afk happened to all of us (laughs) and it hit us pretty fucking hard we would have done this earlier but well we'll get into the why i i have a full bitch session saved up about it um so i guess let's let's get into it yep so to kick things off we've got the spherical cow finally dropping dead or at least getting pretty close to it and the spherical cow we're speaking of is the federal uh treasury bond rates and specifically that a whole lot of big hedge fund traders seem to have zigged when they should have zagged and the reason for their zigging and zagging was because everybody believed the economy was going to do way better than it actually has and they were wrong (sighs) so um what exactly did they do wrong here? So when the Fed announced that they were going to tolerate some level of inflation, mm-hmm. pretty much every hedge fund trader, or at least a large number of them, playing around in the treasury bonds market, which is a lot of finance, really. Like It, it has to be stressed that treasury bills are treated and traded like they're fucking portable gold bars in the world of finance um that it cannot be understated how critical this shit is to the functioning of the global monetary system um and the different maturity maturity rates on uh treasury bonds offer different rates of return Uh, The shorter ones offer a higher rate of return because there's greater risk, while the longer-term ones offer lower rate of return, but it's a guaranteed return, as long as inflation isn't a thing at significant levels. So what the hedge fund traders did is they said, fine, we'll take the higher rate of risk as well as higher rate of return of the short-term bonds and fuck the long-term bonds because that's the smart thing to do right now. And now the Fed has turned around and said, actually, we were kind of wrong about the inflation thing, and this is getting a bit out of hand. 
So now a whole bunch of people are stuck with assets that are worth a lot less than they were when they bought them. The classic <laughs> trader's nightmare. So basically... The thing the... that totally will not happen to Bitcoin ever. <laughs> this is good for Bitcoin. This is good for Bitcoin. This does post an, post an interesting question, though, because what exactly can the Federal, Federal Reserve do about, like our economy right now because it's not like there's uh it's not like you can adjust some value here and there like we're dealing with supply chain disruptions and i don't necessarily think that the federal reserve has mechanisms to do that beyond uh like throwing multiple grenades into the economy yeah they really don't they like the tools the fed has are understandably because the fed is a bank at the end of the day and runs like a bank um with you know certain caveats of course banks don't get to like fart money into existence on a daily basis the way the fed does but you know that's a totally different thing um regardless they think and function largely like a bank and the only real mechanisms banks have to manipulate the economy is to make lending cheaper by dropping their interest rates and extending more credit or retract the availability of credit and capital. That's really it. Like what you can like finance, even though it's so like critical to upholding the value of this whole neoliberal shit show doesn't, actually do very much beyond redistribution of capital at the end of the day um that they've been able to turn this redistribution into the fucking magic bullshit to spend money out of thin air is a completely different problem that still doesn't get around that banks like the fed all the way down really only have those two tools available and one and both of those tools are really blunt instruments when you think about it mm. the treasury seems to have more leeway but that's you know they're independent at least ostensibly and you know they can't <sighs> like banks can't do things like you know a state saying hi we're going to fund building new schools or upgrading roads or any number of like infrastructural projects that are like badly overdue um and those are things that put people to work and create all kinds of economic multipliers that come from like the savings that come from having fucking modern infrastructure um and all kinds of other shit like banks really ultimately can only be like right this thing exists and we are willing to throw money at this thing So when the Fed is your main actually interventionary instrument in economic policy, you really just have like a hammer and a screwdriver and that's about it. Like, so it sounds like what happened here was the Fed was signaling that, you know, they're no longer willing to tolerate the, you know, 
the old status quo was basically one where, you know, they were like, we're going to, you know, keep things from going, you know, totally deflationary spiral. But beyond that, we're not doing anything. Um, and move towards, yeah, okay, some inflation is fine. But now that, like, we're getting, like, major inflation in, like, real terms, not just in, like, you know, technical funny money stuff, um, they're like, okay, yeah, we need to kind of back off on that. And because, because the traders didn't catch on to that subtle difference, they got burned. Essentially. Is that about the size of it? Basically. And the reason they got burned was because they were following the economic consensus, which was the the economy is a modem, and if you turn it off and turn it back on again, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would like to think that, like, the past year has shown that you cannot just simply turn an economy on and off again off and on again but i mean hey what what the fuck do i know (laughs) (sighs) oh god the yeah so yeah (sighs) that wall street's losing quite a chunk of money because they went with what was supposed to be the way things are going and the way things are supposed to go is not happening. Mm-hmm. As we've been saying since this whole shit show kicked off. <sighs> Looks like we've got another piece of news here. Uh, does anybody need their assets recycled? Uh, like a dam or anything, or series of dams, some public infrastructure. <sighs> this, this sounds like Thatcherite bullshit. What are you going on about? <laughs> well, uh, well, Wall Street has been wanting to uh, to use the inf- euphemism. Uh, to then explain, as they've wanted to asset recycle, aka just privatize uh, various like public assets of the U.S. government for quite some time, and with the recent infrastructure bill, uh, infrastructure—if you sort of squint your eyes and look, yeah—but this basically this bill is more of a let's sell infrastructure than build infrastructure. Yeah. Well, this part of it, anyway. Because it's not like shit like, say, you know, the ability to actually get a fucking train in underserved areas totally didn't happen when they hawked British Rail. Or, you know, BP went from a relatively reliable, if occasionally shady as fuck, oil company to periodically blowing things up. You know? Mm-hmm. Totally went great in the 80s in the UK. Yeah, it's not like we're gonna see what we saw in Texas with their private electrical grid just 
similar cases while they're dealing with electrical infrastructure and other stuff all throughout the United States? Nope, not at all. Mm-mm. No, nothing wrong, nothing to see here, nope. But, you know, to get out of the, the humorous mode for a second, like, what exactly is there to, like, privatize? Like, most stuff was privatized beforehand. I mean, there's definitely, like, the TVA in Tennessee, but... And, like, a few other public assets, but... Like, the, Uni- the United States is a corpse at this point. But I, th- I mean, there's like the Muni in San Francisco, I guess. They really want Ronald Reagan Airport um, for some reason, and it's like I'm given the name, I'm half surprised they haven't privatized it yet. Well, that's probably but... why it needs to be privatized, Miss Silver. It it has the his fucking name on it. It's an affront to Saint Reagan that it is under public ownership. <laughs> Seriously, I don't want to. I really don't want to see these people running like Watts Bar Sequoia. Like, TVA does good things, and. It, I just don't see how private industry is going to help when, you know, it comes down to, like, what the TVA does is, like, they they provide, you know, basic infrastructure for parts of the Southeast that, you know, private companies would never touch. But, because, but Ms. Silver, know, it's, fuck them. it's not making somebody enough profit to buy a James Bond island. So, therefore, it's not efficient. Miss Silver, Says, have you ever considered you know. just like privatizing a state's infrastructure so you could have your own James Bond Island? Have you ever thought of that? Well, the right no. to private property guarantees your right to extract sufficiently exorbitant profits to buy a supervillain lair. Come on, it's in the Constitution. Everyone knows that. Oh yeah, the secret Article Six. <laughs> Look, and until everybody has a volcano layer in order to put superheroes in and have the superheroes, like, turn on them at the last second and win their fights, then mm-hmm. we will not have a free market. We will not have a free economy. You gotta think of the superheroes. Hmm. The freer the markets, the freer the people. My right libertarian friends keep telling me that, but somehow I don't fucking believe them. Because, uh, you know, you just have to, like, close your eyes and ignore these things called, like, all of the, the history of capitalism ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real talk, it's like... My... My vibe with all this is like this is gonna be a shit show. This, this is gonna be a fucking disaster because like there's there's a reason the government has run the TVA up until now, and it's partly because you know did anyone step up to do it before? Like, 
during the uh, Great Depression, like this, this was it. It was the TVA or nothing. And <sighs> let's be real, it's still going to be the TVA or nothing, except now they're going to sell it to some company so, you know, they can stuff the place full of fail sons and. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess they're just fucked. That and that's it really says something that that is the Biden economic plan. That we're going yeah. to hawk what little remnants of public infrastructure exist to the highest bidder and pretend that bump is going to save the economy even though there's like nothing really left to hawk that's gonna make any kind of dent in <sighs> Wall Street and their mother losing everything yeah I mean it's like the thing is, Doc, though, I don't I don't really think you've considered the fact that people want to uh, people want to buy their electricity and their water using Byzantine plans that make health insurance look straightforward. <laughs> you know, if your name's Pete Buttigieg, maybe that makes sense. I know I said his name wrong. I also don't give a shit, but Wait, what about Pete Bootlicker? Yeah. Agent Pete. That's why unions went on strike and shit, was so they could get these stupidly complicated but still comprehensive health care plans that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, in case you think I'm, like, exaggerating or something, it's like... Go look at, like, what it takes to get electricity in Houston sometime. It, um, it is insane. Houston is under the ERCOT grid um, authority, so it's a shit show. Um, there's all these complex and Byzantine plans that I, I don't even pretend to understand. And... It's like, look, I just supply me electricity, I pay for it. There's, this doesn't have to be complicated. It, like, it really doesn't. Like, there's no reason that, or like, you know, let's look at PG&E in California. The number one thing they are good at is lighting the state on fire. Yeah. Because you know, it's more profitable for a utility company to defer maintenance costs than it is to, you know, pay out massive bonuses mm -hmm. to the people at the top. That's literally it. It's because there's no, like, business reason for all this shit. Oh, yeah, and also the state routinely bails them out when they get, like, you know, rightfully sued, facing insurance costs, you know, all the shit that happens when, you know, you burn down half the state on a regular basis. Like, they're definitely up there in terms of with coming close to the cops in terms of how much, like, the state and local governments just bail them out from their own bullshit in court. 
<laughs> but yeah, you know, it's totally worked other than, you know, the brownouts and shit burning down and the sky turning orange last year. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. The more I look at that stuff, the more I'm like, I'm glad we don't have that here. But Jesus. Oh. Speaking of... Yeah, it, Delta variant is a thing. Welp. It's 50% more contagious than regular COVID. It doesn't seem to kill you any faster, but it will glom onto you a lot more easily if you don't have the vaccine. It also might do that anyway, and then you're an asymptomatic carrier. Who knows? Jerry's yeah. still a little out on that wrinkle. From what I understand, it's like, it's not any more dangerous. It's quote unquote, just more transmissible, but it's like, it's not like COVID needed much help in that department to begin with. And, and, you're more transmissible if it does the same shit it was already doing means it will run the death toll by just running the numbers yeah and that's that's scary about it it's like the good news is that like if you're vaccinated you're much less at risk from it um there have been breakthroughs but it's rare, but the problem is, is that it's popping up in countries where like their only method of control is basically just not letting it into the country in the first place. And once that breaks down, well, it's, you know, hard to deal with. Um, and Vietnam comes to mind here they managed to control the original variant so like there's you know hardly anybody with like natural immunities antibodies things like that but you know there's also no vaccination because like you know <laughs> um, Joe Biden the west kind of screwed everyone else out <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah God. Literally, it's Joe Biden bought them all. <laughs> it's the EU mm -hmm. bought them all. And they're like, no, we, we still need these, even though there are people refusing vaccination in many places on, like, scales that do have public health officials in many places being like, uh, this could, like, be a serious problem. Yeah. So it's like, on the one hand, you've got countries where there's large swathes of the population that are protected, but it's like churning really fast through the people who aren't. And then you've got countries where there's basically no protection. There's like basically nothing to stop it. You're just basically hoping that your infrastructure holds up against a tidal wave of fucking cases. And then... 
India, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what happens. It it's... just outright died. Yeah. Like and it's fucked and there's a lot of rural parts of the united states that got really close or past that tipping point before delta and before mm -hmm. shit really started getting all culture war around masking and vaccination yeah and you know it also needs to be said by the way that because this of course when we're talking about the United States of America is the United States of America there are some places like say the west coast states where you can actually legitimately just sign up and get the vaccine for free like at this point anyone who wants a vaccine in like California or Oregon or Washington can get one you just go on the web you sign up you can get it um, there's a lot of other states where pharmaceutical companies are now charging like shipping and handling fees or processing fees or just all kinds of bullshit that is passing on costs to people who need the vaccine. So the thing that was yeah. supposed to happen without any financial constraint is now getting financial constraints in large chunks of the country. Yeah. And it's like in a lot of the like rural flyover countries, uh, the rural flyover states, I should say. What's happening is like, yeah, in theory you can get it, but you have to drive like a hundred miles to like somewhere that actually has appointments. And like, who the fuck is going to do that? I mean, you got to be pretty motivated. People do it because they have to, but... And you also have to be able to actually take the time off work. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, for most of these people, your schedule is not your own. And, like, the only reason it succeeded here is because we have... Much of our population is concentrated in urban areas. And there was a calculated push you know, from all levels of the state and of the region to get this done. And in areas where that was kind of neglected, you know, this is this is where, you know, Delta is going apeshit while, you know, the vaccination numbers very slowly tick up. And it's just it's a frustrating mess and that's you know that's in a country where like there is a vaccine supply um elsewhere yeah you're kind of fucked yeah pretty much like if you've if you're looking at anywhere that's running into problems getting vaccines mm -hmm. this is gonna be the part where shit's gonna get really really fucked up yeah Circling back to Vietnam, the figure I saw was like 0.19% of people have been vaccinated there, which is like, that's basically nothing. When you're talking about, you know, a possible um, pandemic outbreak, that's nothing. 
the, I mean, it's like you might as well not have bothered. Yeah, that's like maybe you got your most absolutely essential people, like mm-hmm. those heads, like the people who literally are at the top of your healthcare system. Maybe you managed to do something like that if it was you know being done in a concentrated way. And it's like, I mean, yeah, they they did a good job with, you know, keeping it under control in the first place. But, like, you know, the second you slipped from that, like, we saw what happened in India. Um, it can happen elsewhere. It is happening elsewhere. But at least it won't affect the market. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, shit be not. CNBC's headlines on the Delta variant are not only don't worry, the stock market's going to be fine, but here's the places to invest, according to JP Morgan. Because you can always mm-hmm. trust a fucking banker or a hedge fund trader to go, is there a way we can make a profit from this? Mm-hmm. Uh, their strategists were basically like, the variant doesn't pose risks for markets and could even provide a boost for value stocks and yields, they said it out. The Delta variant should not have significant re- repercussions for the pandemic situation in developed markets, um, you know, Europe, North America, which have made strong progress in vaccinations due to the level of population immunity. And basically, you know, the market is freaking out over nothing. Um, they freaked out about, you know, the original alpha variant, B117. And that doesn't make sense because, you know, everything is fine now. Everything is fine. I love Big Brother. Hmm. Yeah. You can always trust the business press to find a way to manufacture confidence in a crisis. Yep. And they're like, well, you know, um, Russia had like a massive jump in COVID mortality, but they've only vaccinated 14% of the population. So, you know, who cares? It's not important. Fuck them. <sighs> It's just, God, it's like so fucking sociopathic. Yeah, it's like we don't give a shit. We have we're making money from this. Why worry? I mean, I got the shot, so you know, got mine. Fuck you. <laughs> yup. Like that's that's pretty much their attitude because like you know where where they lived. You know, of course they could get it. Like, how they were... Back in the early days, they were bribing people to, you know, jump the line and declare themselves essential health workers because they owned, like, you know, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of Merck stock or something. <laughs> it's... Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's just sort of where we're at, and that's where the un- Masters of the Universe think. Because, you know these bastards are all about making money they will do not care if they kill people to make money they just did that for a year <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Like, this shouldn't be as surprising as it might be for some folks, but this does actually bring us to something that apparently has been surprising for a lot of people. Is what Bloomberg is calling the Great Resignation. So, why do they call it that? Because apparently, giving everyone the perk of working from home and then saying, guess what? That's no longer going to be the case because, oh fuck, everyone working from home is going to cause a commercial real estate crisis. Is having people go, well, then fuck you, I quit. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. I mean, I think, and then like a lot of people are like switching jobs to other things. Um, and at the same time, we have a lot of people who are retiring right now. It's our labor market as it stands right now is going through a major realignment. Yeah. And you know, I mean, people did just watch their businesses tell them to die in ditch. Yeah. And 600,000 people are dead. Yeah. We sent these people to die. Um, you know, we as in the ruling class. And, you know, shockingly enough, people are not happy about that. <sighs> They want, they want out of it. Like, on the white collar side, they're like, you know, actually, we don't really need to go into the office. Being in the office sucks. Um, I don't want to be in an open office plague pit anymore. And let's be real, this was, this was a problem they were starting to notice um, as a downside with the open office stuff was like, if, you know, one person gets the flu, everyone gets it. Um, except now it's, you know, COVID. So like, you know, one person gets COVID, everybody gets COVID. Well, you know, that could affect executives and that's unacceptable. So they're like, yeah, okay, well, will let you work from home except now they're not and so people are jumping ship as and they should on this yeah and on the service end of things it's like you know you if you've spent your time in like retail hell or restaurant work it's like if you can get like if you can get into logistics jobs, those are like, in some ways, those are easier, you know, like, I don't have to. They're certainly more stable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, do you, and do you really want to deal with the public all day, every day, like deal with the worst of the worst? Or would you rather just drive a forklift? <laughs> And even within the service sector, you're also seeing this kind of upwards, like I'm seeing working in, you know, restaurant in San Francisco, that you're seeing this sort of upward shuffling of, 
an industry that is used to basically being able to dictate terms because there was such a massive surplus of labor they could draw on is now having to compete for workers for the first time mm -hmm. like ever and you're seeing shit like before the pandemic i would not have been able to get the job that i have right now granted it still is a shitty ass restaurant job and a tourist trap but it's a well-paying shitty ass restaurant job and a tourist trap that gets enough traffic that you can actually make a decent living off of the tips um yeah and there's definitely a lot of folks who are kind of sorting upward and that mean and even like these kind of places where you can't actually walk away with 100 to 150 dollars a day are struggling to find people so if your name is mcdonald's <laughs> you know get fucked <laughs> yeah and it's like we it's like this isn't new it's that people in the biz press are finally real lot they're finally putting together like these disconnected stories of like, you know, people incidentally realizing, oh, maybe I have to pay the market clearing rate for labor now. Maybe I had to pay fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour for like bitch work at a ice cream parlor, uh, parlor or something, and they're like, oh shit, this is a problem. <laughs> like the this churn is unacceptable people are like starting to act as though like they have options well what's really funny about this is this is it, almost exactly the same thing that happened after the black death in europe mm -hmm. was you had urban and rural workers who granted in that case somewhere between depending on where you were, a third and a half of the population was utterly wiped out by a series of massive epidemics over the course of about four years. Like, it basically broke the feudal system more than anything else. Um, and in the wake of it, there were multiple incredibly bloody peasant revolts, including, like, Watt Tyler's March on London and, like, the Jacques in uh, France and all these other uprisings because the peasants were like, hey, guess what? I know you need a certain amount of labor to maintain your expected, you know, level of existence. And I know there's a lot less people to do that labor. So fucking pay me and stop <laughs> treating me like shit. And, you know, raping my sister for fun. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <sighs> Like I remember yes. seeing um, uh, this this article where it was basically where basically they're thinking, oh, with this pandemic, like we're not going to see changes, like what happened with the Black Plague, like no, nothing's going to happen at all. But no, we're seeing like as you said, like the power of labor being able to negotiate for far more than it has in the past. Oh yeah, I mean I. I, I think I remembered those those articles and I was like uh, I'm not so sure about that. The full consequences hadn't hit yet. How would you know? And it's like, well, now we're like, you know, almost a year and a half into this and it's like, okay, we have some numbers now and they don't favor that assessment. They favor ours. <laughs> And ours is saying 
buckle the fuck up, asshole. Because, <laughs> you know, there were, I'm just, you know, going to put it out there. There were literal incidents of peasants eating the rich during the French Jacques Array. Just going to put this out there. Yeah. Like, that happened. So. <laughs> oh, and also, you can kind of expect a lot of those service jobs are probably going to go badly. Because, you know, there was, like, this great article about how the people who are the kids of the owners of... Uh, the people who run the Santa Cruz boardwalk are having to actually work the jobs that the hordes of peons they usually conscript are supposed to do. <laughs> so we're going to have the fucking fail child operating your roller coaster. Oh God. <laughs> why, why do I sense a Waldership problem episode coming from this? <sighs> yeah. That's great. <sighs> so, there's this one little bit here I see. Um, Teamsters declare war on Amazon. Oh, yeah. What the. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a thing. The latest, among many other things, the Brotherhood of Teamsters came together and had their uni union convention, and along with greatly democratizing the contract negotiation process, which puts a lot more hand power in the hands of the rank and file, they also said they're coming for Amazon. <laughs> Oh, I am so fucking excited for this. <laughs> the Teamsters do not fuck around. I I'd love to see Jeff Bezos' goons try to intimidate the Teamsters. Just, I want to see that. Like, I can already just imagine the, like, you know hardened by years of putting up with worse bullshit than this like teamster organizers just kind of you know like cracking their necks a bit and being like for fuck's sake we just got the blood out of the carpet <laughs> oh my god <laughs> part of me wonders if you know the Bessemer vote would have gone Better or worse if the Teamsters had been organizing there? <laughs> it's like between them and the Longshoremen, I'm really not sure who you'd want to, like, fuck with less. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all for it. <laughs> like, totally uncritical support here. Just, like, fuck them up. <laughs> This is going to be great. Make Jeff Bezos cry. <laughs> Look, if we organize Amazon, we can make him cry into his pillow at night for many, many nights. Think about 
how much money those tears would be worth on Etsy. <laughs> Bespoke billionaire tears. <laughs> Look, it is it is a prime ingredient. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like we support our troops. They wear Teamster jackets and make Jeff Bezos cry. Hell yeah. And that gets us to something else that is just so beautiful to see. Something actually bad for Bitcoin appears to have happened. This is good for Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah, your fucking climate beanie babies will totally have a market to sell in. Mm Mm-hmm. So, basically, what's happening is, and, like, the article we're getting this from is kind of... It's not entirely accurate, but it's mostly because it's like this is this is happening elsewhere is the thing. Um, so basically, we got to wind back a bit here. Um, China, unlike us, has like actual, you know, climate mitigation targets to work towards and uh, power generation targets to work towards as well. And one of the big problems that has been plaguing, like, some of the provinces where, you know, electricity is cheap is, you know, industrial and residential um, users are not getting all the electricity that they need. And they're not getting it because it's being hoovered up by Bitcoin mining and other cryptocurrency mining. And once those metrics hit, they were uh, the central government was like, "Yo, you need to knock that off. You need to stop this." Um, and like they've been making moves uh, to like reduce the demand side for crypto, but as far as the supply side, the mining. Um, What's what it's basically coming from is like they a lot of the provinces where it actually makes sense to mine, where you know the electricity is cheap enough that you can break even and even make money on it, they're like taking a look at you know what they're generating, their generation mix, and what you know the Bitcoin people are doing to hog all that electricity. And they were like, no, we can't let you do this anymore. You gotta leave. Get the fuck out. (laughs) So it used to be that like, you know, the Xinjiang cartel that will like move their miners from there to Inner Mongolia, to Sichuan, to all sorts of other places. And then eventually they'd end up back in, Xinjiang that that whole circuit is over like they're not gonna allow that anymore 
because it it just drives up the electricity cost too much. It you know fucks up their climate goals. They're just not going to tolerate it anymore. And so apparently some of them are going to move to Texas where, you know, electricity is cheap. Except when it's not. Because fuck you. <laughs> but others are getting out of the game. Um, but hey, you can buy a video card now in China, I'm told. <laughs> it's like actually possible now. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm... And because of this... I'm looking forward to... Well, I'm not looking forward to seeing Texas's electrical grid even more just fucked apart. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's what they want to do, and... The thing that's great about this is the fact that China is doing this raises the trader's nightmare of, oh, wait, there may actually be a scenario where holding on to this is a gigantic liability. Yeah, because it's like part of the reason like crypto mining is falling apart is because like, yeah, sure. Now you have holdings um, because you got the block reward and, you know, like, that's the whole point of, like, mining in the first place is to make sure that you are the ones getting the block reward. But if you can't, like, actually turn it into fiat and you can't take it out of the country. And if it <sighs> keeps turning out to be a big fucking scam. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like, you know, the mining pools will, they are divesting or will divest, but like, I don't think Bitcoin is going to necessarily go away, but like, the easy days of, you know, a mining pool controls 90% of the supply because China sells their electricity very cheaply for no good reason. That's over. That is way over. They're not doing that anymore. Because, you know, fuck them. Well, and I bet this is the part where Wall Street's going to go, we need somewhere else to stash this money. Because Bitcoin was... Like, I bet, and just from reading between the lines on all the different trade papers that have been used to justify going in on Bitcoin that have come out of the financial industry... I bet a significant motivation that was there is going, oh, shit, the real economy is kind of disintegrating. Not, I mean, it's good for them that privatization care of Biden is going to happen, but there still isn't that much there to hawk and strip. So what else is there? Oh, wait, there's this new thing that we swear is totally not a bubble. And if we pump it enough, we could actually get into some cyberpunk future where we don't even need governments to make money anymore. Yeah. And like the thing with this is, is, you know, if they relocate the pools to somewhere that's more amenable to this stuff, like Texas or, you know, that thermal plant they're, you know, remaking in New York, like 
all of a sudden, okay, now you've got an American asset that you can easily buy, you can easily hold. There's no, you know, foreign government risk. Like that makes, that is actually good for Bitcoin. Totally. Like, unironically. It actually um, is. At least for like these sorts of, you know, Western institutional would be users. <laughs> it, except, you know, that this whole incident has raised the question of if China's going to do it, then eventually anyone else who's trying to hit climate targets, like say the European Union, who is, while definitely on the same, not on the same level or capacity as like the Chinese government, are certainly demonstrating a pretty serious commitment. And, you know, the British are at least talking about it with Boris Johnson claiming the UK will be like the Saudi Arabia of wind power. Good luck on that, Bojo. But it's, you know, anyone who's trying to go for this shit, even if it's not fucking Texas, is going to probably look a bit more dimly on it. And traders are yeah. going to be like, well, why the hell should I hold on to something that has even greater risk than fossil fuels? Well, I mean, it's like, you know, fossil fuel risk attaches to all that because like the reason they're able to get this capacity is because they're either repurposing hydro projects that have like, you know, spare excess power or they're, you know, firing up coal plants where, you know, actual electricity generation no longer makes sense but using it for Bitcoin mining does like the numbers pencil out. It doesn't mean that like, you know, it's, you know, socially useful. That's a totally different subject. I mean, you know, the whole thing is based on perverse incentives. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just absolutely disgusting. And you know, it needs to be said folks that, this is capitalism. Mm -hmm. No other economic system. Don't care what numbers you're using for how many people died under communism. The communism still didn't manage to be like, hi, we're just going to like fuck the planet. Yeah. Pretty much. And it's like the other half of that is like, the reason a lot of this crypto shit has taken off is because of things like Tether um, and other so-called stable coins that purport to, like, track... Um, you know, they, you know, they purport to be, like, you know, convertible instruments from a crypto token to a U.S. dollar or a euro or a British pound or wherever the fuck. Um, and it turns out that like the most popular of those, which is Tether, is, you know, we, we've talked about this for, um, before. Their disclosure was like, oh yeah, we've only got like 3% of the assets to actually back this coin. Um, which is not a very good leverage ratio, I've got to say, you know. Verdi something to one is risky business. That's like even if it were fractional reserve. That that's straight up stupid business, really. <laughs> that's you just don't <laughs> do that. And well, speaking of like 
Wall Street having places to hide assets, we've now got the Fed allowing corporate buybacks again, which was a thing that was stopped during the whole COVID crisis last year because, you know, corporations being able to buy back their own stock inflates the value of the stock. It's money they're not spending on things they should actually be spending it on. Um, but it's great for puffing up executive bonuses. Well, that's coming back. It's also yeah. great for over-leveraging your company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, Supposedly, the industry can survive like $474 billion worth of, you know, losses and still, you know, have good enough assets that, like, they'll be fine. We swear. We swear. And, like... I don't know about this. This doesn't seem right. It's like the magic this... math says so. We promise. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I think the, even if you take this at like face value, I think the Fed's playing a really risky game here. Well, again, is... they don't have that many options to do anything with the economy. So, sure, I guess we'll let Wall Street inflate itself. We can't really do anything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, expect to see this market that's already over-leveraged and over-inflated to keep doing exactly that. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, they gotta return something to the shareholders. Ugh. Yeah. That, yeah. Them fucking mm -hmm. shareholders. So, Miss uh, Silver, could you tell us about the, uh, how the elemental plane of flame, uh, consumed the Pacific Northwest recently? Uh, first off, I survived. And as I bitched about way earlier in the episode, um, yeah, we had like a massive fucking heat wave. Um, it was miserable. It was nothing like last year's. Last year's had like you know, a few nasty bouts, but, like, ultimately survivable, you know. Occasionally in the Pacific Northwest, we, even in Portland, we hit, like, you know, 100 or so. Like, you uh, somewhere around August, September, um, we, like, hit the really big league temperatures. And we crossed the, uh, the triple digits briefly, and then things calmed down. Um, everyone grumbles about it, friends to buy air conditioners, forgets to, and the cycle repeats. It wasn't like that this time. Um, this time, late June, basically, um, we got the heat dome. Um, the entire Pacific Northwest got, like, fucking heat domed. Um, because of a high-pressure system. And, well, what happened was uh, 
things got bad. Um, up to 116, 117 in some areas. And, like, we've never had those temperatures before in Portland. Ever. Like, we shattered multiple records across the state. Um, there were actually parts of Canada that were even warmer. I think there was one area in Vancouver that hit, like, 118. Like, literally the and... only spot on the West Coast that was not in a heat wave was San Francisco, and that's because it couldn't afford the rent. Mm-hmm. hmm Pretty much. Yeah. Like, that microclimate stuff saved you. Um, because that rent is fucking expensive. <laughs> but, you know, everywhere else, we caught the brunt of it, and... Dozens died. Um, I-5 buckled in some places. Um, the streetcar service in Portland had to shut down completely because of damage to... I think it was... I don't think it was the overhead lines. I think it was the... Um, uh, and this is... Uh, this is... Look, I'm not a train nerd... It's the the part of the train that like connects it to the overhead line. Oh yeah, that thing. Um, yeah, the cable uh, that goes from that to the actual train's um, power unit. It failed. Um, it was you know not doing that great to begin with, but like it went from you know okay we might have to replace this in a few months during routine maintenance to it just fucking disintegrated from, you know, being, like, completely fucking melted. Because, like, if the ambient temperature is, like, you know, in the 110s, you know, in the 100s, 110s, you know, that causes, you know, things like metals and such to be even hotter. Like, yeah, of course it fucking melted. Like, it was already damaged. And so it like got completely destroyed. Um, you know, we, we saw a lot of things like that and we also had several dozen deaths. Um, last I checked the official death toll was 65 people, 43 in Multnomah County. Uh, Multnomah County is, uh, Portland and a few other places. But in the metro area, we had, like, 65 people die. Because this... Air conditioning take-up rates are, like, um, a third. Um, Most of these places are simply not built to reject heat. Um, There's lots of... A lot of the rental places have, like, restrictive rules where you can't have a window unit... Um, that's why I ended up having a portable. Um, and it's like, a lot of us suffered. Um, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. And like, it was just, it was just massively, massively fucked up. Um, like everything that could go wrong did. Um, 
and I don't know. I'm not sure if this is going to happen next year. Um, this was fairly unique. Um, like, you know, a convergence of factors. But at the same time, it's like... Uh, like this supposed I can't help if like the, hmm? this is supposed to be one of those new normals that comes with climate change. Yeah, I don't I don't specifically know if that's going to be the case, but it's like if that's true then um I don't know, things are bad. <laughs> this this sucked ass. Like it took until like today for the apartment I live in to like, you know, fully cool down. Um, like last night there was still some like residual, um, you know, thermal energy from, you know, from the heat wave. It like, it took that long to like get rid of it all. Um, and you know, like right now it's like 72 degrees which is about where it should be. And it took, yeah, like I said, it took until today for like things to finally equalize. Like I'm not running my air conditioner right now. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It, it was just like, it sucked ass and I'll be honest, if I didn't have the air conditioner, I probably would have just died. So, I, who wants to put down money on when the next thermal bubble sees people smashing a Bitcoin miner in response? <laughs> or whatever other obvious fossil fuel guzzling carbon producing thing happens to be in the area? Well, I mean, we don't really have the electricity prices for Bitcoin mining to make sense at scale. Thank fuck. But, I mean, it's like, if somebody has showed me their Bitcoin mine running, I would have um, done things that are um, not actionable parody um, in Minecraft. Um, and they would have had it coming. <laughs> they would have had it coming. Like, this this whole event, like, stressed out grids and, like... Like, this place is not built for high temperatures. It's just not. Like, nobody thinks about it. Like, the most they think about is, like, you know, how to protect from, like, winter. Which, you know, occasionally we get, you know, a winter that totally sucks ass. Um, we don't quite get, you know, New York, um, two feet of snow or whatever the fuck, but it gets bad enough that, yeah, we have to worry about that. Nobody has had to worry about heat here until like the past five, ten years. And now it's like, you know. For, like, that brief period of time, we were, like, the hottest city in the country. 
we weren't the hottest city in the continent, be, um, but that was only because Canada took that one. <laughs> Canada, of all places. Like, Jesus, fuck. I don't know. That that was my that was my rant on it. I don't know what to, what else to say. <laughs> it's I don't know. Teal dear the uh, the the climate is changing, and like you know this this shit is only gonna get worse. I don't I don't know if we're ever gonna have like another big heat wave like this. I think that this is gonna be a fairly exceptional event. But I think the new normal is going to be we need air conditioning to live in large parts of the Pacific Northwest. It's going to be like the South or something where, you know, air conditioning is practically mandatory. I'm just waiting until, you know, we see what this does to the South and places where that's already the status quo. Yeah. Like, it would have been so much worse if this were, like, a superhuman place, which it's not. Um, like, if it were 115 in that, ugh, I'd be dead. I would not be talking to you right now. Um... And, of course, you know, the city totally flaked out on us. Ted Wheeler ran. Um, He ran off somewhere to presumably, you know, sit in front of an air conditioner. Well, police, like, fucked over cooling stations that weren't authorized by the city. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. Um, You also saw that sort of shit in, like, Eugene and Salem, other places... <sighs> Oregon did not cover themselves in glory in this one. <laughs> well, I mean, really, if anyone thought that the elites would respond any differently to climate mass death than they did to COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Here you yeah. go. Uh, here we go. So, uh, do we want to talk about the supply chain disruptions? Why we keep hammering on this point? (sighs) We talk about this a lot, don't we? Like, really since the podcast started and all this shit exploded... Oh, yeah. Like, even before, um, even before COVID, like, you know, hit in the United States, we've been, like, looking at the supply chain situation going, oh, no. We didn't think it would get this bad, but... Uh, it did. Yeah. It did. So, why don't you why don't you lead your, uh, lead us off, Doc? So the short version is this is sort of the core of what we've been calling the material collapse thesis, which is our argument that this economy is terminally turbo fucked, and 
there's not going to be some last minute riding across the horizon rescue for the market that will just magically happen the way that like the CNBC and everybody else seems to think is supposed to happen. Like you can't turn the economy on and off when it's a just in time frictionless. Everything has to show up exactly when it's supposed to, because we have no fucking inventory or backstop system that we have because yay neoliberalism. You can't do that. We've seen localized examples of this, like the shock across the auto industry in the wake of Fukushima. Um, and, you know, more recently, the Ever Given, that has just ever given us everything to laugh about. Um, and all these other instances of where small localized supply shocks have had massive disruption across the planet. And now we're having a global supply shock to every end of the supply chain. People are fucking dead. Workers who were there to make this shit run are no longer there. Um, or they've moved to other industries. And they're also being overstretched by an economy that really has no slack or capacity mm -hmm. to absorb any kind of uncertainty like this. Not at scale. So everything is now more expensive. Everything is not reliable. You can see it in businesses at every scale and in every, every industry that they are scrambling to buy supplies and get parts and everything they need to keep up with this reopening but nobody can get what they need because everybody's buying the same things at rates that no one can compete with each other on it's ridiculous mm -hmm. like there's too much money following an increasingly small amount of available stuff like Ford is having to shut down production lines because they can't get a hold of superconductors. The uh, like you could argue part of why the whole crackdown on bitcoins happened is because it's throttling computer part prices all over the place. Yeah. Like, like you know, Chia wants storage, Ethereum wants GPUs, Bitcoin wants, you know, custom ASICs and like Every wafer that's dedicated to a fucking Bitcoin machine is one that isn't, you know, making, like, actual socially useful goods. Like, stuff that, you know, regular-ass people will buy. Like, that's, <laughs> that's been the problem. And this isn't just with Bitcoin. This is now we're... It's been, as we've been saying since, you know, basically the show started, we're seeing this play out across every field and everything is getting more expensive because there's not enough of it. It's not arriving in sufficient quantities and it's not re arriving reliably enough. So that's why we're getting things like lumber futures going all over the fucking place or like OPEC plus having to cut production because they're running the risk of causing an oil glut and throttling the price of oil downward even more. Yeah. And recently they wouldn't even touch. Well, investors are still not touching shale oil because nobody wants to get burned again. So like, you know, what happens if demand collapses again? Yeah. So where's this recovery going to happen through all this when you have no stability of supply or price? And demand 
absolutely throttling available supply. Like, how are you supposed to get back to something resembling, like, the late Obama-Trump economy? I guess it's our thesis that we don't. Like, there is no recovery. And that, I think, gets us to our last word. And yeah, this recovery is sputtering out. Yeah, like, we're about to get one of those, you know, jobless recoveries, those paper recoveries that, you know, every time, like, the economy would sort of shit itself during the long crisis, but before the Grand Re- uh, the Great Recession, we get these little jobless recoveries that, like, didn't mean anything. It just meant that more people were out of work. And, you know, we're, we're staring down the barrel of another one, but this time, there is nothing else to run to. There is no speculative magic asset class that's going to save the day for capitalism. There's no peace dividend. There's no... There's no material basis for a recovery. If you don't have a functional supply chain... Yeah. Like, if you don't have a functional supply chain, you don't have a functional economy. Yeah. Full stop. And it's like... Like the well, the time horizon I'm seeing for like you know everything to like finally smooth out and we achieve a measure of equilibrium is like three four years. You know that's mm, twelve sixteen quarters. Yeah, and that's if things smooth <laughs> do you, out. Do you think the country holds up? Yeah. Good luck. And that's Good. if things smooth out. I mean, there have been like disruptions that have happened every few months that at this point I it doesn't feel like the supply chain is going to get better in that amount of time. Like cor- the corporations are essentially fucked. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, that was kind of my ballpark spherical cow there's no further disruptions like if the time horizon for that is like you know tw- 10 to 16 quarters then there is not going to be a recovery as we would think of it um, you know some of the bag holders may get to walk away um, with fuck you money, but, you know, the rest of us were just kind of fucked. And I mean, that's, that's my prediction. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure that many of the bag holders are going to get away from this one. Like, oh yeah, th- no. in the middle of, you know, climate chaos and everything else, I, I think we're going to see something that's going to get a pretty apocalyptic when this finally crashes because so much bullshit money has been thrown in to prop this up that just I don't 
know if there is a frame of reference here in economic history maybe like the collapse of the soviet union but even then like it wouldn't have been as swift and catastrophic like it's just like once the real economy finally forces someone to call bullshit on the fake one that shit's gonna go into free fall and it's worth noting that in a very real sense Russia never did recover some of the oligarchs made it out with the bag and that's about it yeah like they had to go full petra state to assure that like you know there was anything worth speaking of but that's a strategy they can't hold forever and we're even less like the consensus from people who've like actually seen that sort of shit is like we're fucked like we do not have a lot of the advantages the late USSR started with. Um, like, we can't even, you know, pivot back to heavy industry and the like if we wanted to. We have the resources to go for autarky, but... We certainly don't have uh, the means this... politically, like... I mean, the plus yeah, side there's is... there's no political will. <laughs> like, the plus side, though, is, you know, if things crash hard enough, a lot of other things could crash down with that and open the way for some new kind of approach that actually recognizes the circumstances we're in and gets to work. It could be horrifically fascist. It could also be something way better. But, you know, mm-hmm. at this point... It's all running on a lot of hopium and bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's it. Yeah. This has been Chop Shop Economics. We bitch about this, so you don't have to. Though you really should. Bye, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. Bye. Bye.